Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And you guys are in for a real treat today. My guest is somebody I've known about for a long time, read her book, and was tremendously impacted by it. And uh, this is the first time I've got to see her in, on Zoom and to visit with her. And I'm talking about Julie Ferwerda. She's an inspirational writer uh, who seeks to help other people experience transformational healing by overcoming fear and developing awareness of their invincible connections to God, self, and others. She's the author of several books, including Raising Hell, Christianity's Most Controversial Doctrine Put Under Fire, and boy, she does put it under fire, and One Million Arrows, uh, Raising Your Children to Change the World. She currently works as an ER travel nurse and a wellness guide to inspire others to live out their full physical, emotional, spiritual, and creative potential. She's uh, on a little short break from an assignment now where she's helping lots of people in New Mexico. And without saying any more, Julie, thanks so much for being with us and welcome. Thank you, Paul. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. I'm very honored. And as we always do, Julie, on Grace to All with Paul Gray, I want to start out by asking you, how is your growing understanding of God's unconditional love and grace for all people, how's that affected you where the rubber hits the road and all your relationships? Oh, man, I can tell you that it's had an extreme impact on my life. I remember the year that I started deconstructing hell was about 2009. And I distinctly remember in 2008, I sort of had a crisis of belief. I was just faced with the fact that after, you know, I guess 20 or 30 years in wholehearted devotion to God and to my church and to ministry that... I still didn't really understand how to love. And I remember that I was walking in the rain when it was like an early spring day in, in Wyoming where I was living at the time and I was crying and I was just praying to God out loud saying, I don't know how to love and I don't know how to, I can't contrive this in myself. Like, how is it that I've devoted my life to service to you and I still don't know what love really is or how to love people? And I know that it's kind of your responsibility talking to God, you know, to put love in my heart. If I'm ever going to love people, like I can't find it within myself. And so... It was just a really heartfelt, sincere plea to God to teach me how to love. And I had no idea what I was setting myself up for. <laughs> um, it was a few months later. Well, it was actually the following February, I guess. I had been on a, a journey that year with a friend of studying Hebrew perspectives on scripture, which really opened up my mind to the ways that the Western lenses on scripture has just completely missed so many threads throughout scripture and so much rich meaning and symbolism. And 
for the first time I was, you know, becoming more and more aware that maybe there was, you know, a different way to think about God and scripture than I had before. And I guess it opened a door enough that, you know, when the time came to start questioning the doctrine of hell, I was willing because I realized I didn't know as much as I thought I did. (laughs) And so anyway, uh, the following February, you know, I made this journey of the deconstruction of hell through a series of events. And it really didn't take that long. Like once you start looking into and poking around in the doctrine of hell and how it was formed and, you know, what evidence there is for it, as you and I both know, it just quickly falls apart. But the thing you're asking me is how has this changed my life? And I will just say that from the moment I had the realization that hell wasn't true, my life has completely transformed in every way. And the beautiful part of this is that in addition to being aware that I didn't know how to love I also had told my closest friends and family members through my lifetime that I had this kind of painful awareness that I didn't know what it felt like to be born again. It's like you go through your Christian life if you're raised in the church and everything, and you feel like you're missing out on that experience of, you know, what is it like to be born again? I've always believed this way, you know, but I will say that at that point in my life, when I deconstructed hell and I came to this realization that God is truly this loving, benevolent force that, you know, that the love of God doesn't fail for any person, it completely brought into my life a born again experience. And I was for the first time just flooded with this incredible love for people that I didn't even realize how the doctrine of hell had set me up to have a dichotomy in the way that I viewed people and how I was always secretly judging people. And I should say subconsciously more than secretly subconsciously categorizing and judging people in ways that I didn't even realize. Like, you know, I guess I became aware of it after the fact that if you go to the grocery store and, you know, you see some burly guy with tattoos and, you know, maybe smell alcohol on him or something, it's like, oh, he's going to hell and he's probably not interested in the gospel. So don't give him my time or don't, you know, show him too much attention. Show this cute little old lady that, you know, looks receptive or something. And anyway, for the first time, I realized that every single person who's ever been born is a beloved child of God. And it matters how I think about them, how I treat them. And this overwhelming love just poured into my life that I had never experienced before. And every single person I met suddenly had a light instead of darkness. And suddenly the world just felt safe and I felt safe. And, you know, since then it it's transformed me so much. Like I just gone about my life with such a different view of everything, you know, just a perception of safety and clarity and connectedness to God and to others that I never had before. So I always say it was kind of like I was living in black and white before I realized that God's love truly was victorious for all people. And then the color came into my life afterwards. So I've used that same expression and I realize now I, I may have got it from reading your book a few years ago, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, uh, that's certainly happened to me too. So you decided at a point in time then to write about that and to uh, take the leap of uh, putting your thoughts and understanding uh, out there for everybody to see. I I would guess knowing that there might be a little pushback uh, in some areas of of religion. So tell us about that. 
Well, actually, I haven't really had much pushback for my book, which is the strange thing. It almost feels like there's an insulating force around it or something. And really, the only pushback I ever really experienced was my first year of deconstruction with my church and closest Christian friends. And, you know, since mm-hmm. then, I feel like I've just lived in this beautiful space of connecting with others who the spirit just, you know, leads to into my life. And and I never really went through a lot of hazing or anything. So um, super the yeah. way, way the book came together is really I spent after that February, you know, it took me about two weeks to realize that there just wasn't enough evidence for hell. But then I w- back then there weren't a lot of writings on this topic and you had to look far and wide. I mean, I was reading every blog post and every book I could get my hand on that was available. And and there were a few websites like tentmaker.org, I think it is, that had a lot of information. But I read so far and so wide for a year because I wanted to piece together you know, how the doctrine of hell was formed, why it wasn't true, what is true. And it took me about a year of research to try to put synthesize and put all these different pieces together of, to answer all of my own questions. Because unfortunately, I'm not one of those people who just hears something and like, oh, that sounds true. Okay, I believe it. <laughs> I'm more of like, okay, let's dot every I and cross every T. And I think that's both a weakness and a strength. But it's probably good for other people like me who can see my journey and how I I put those pieces together, but one of the parts of the book that I'm particularly proud of is how we bring back in the Jewish perspectives and all the beautiful symbolism of God's plan for humanity that are missing through the feasts, the harvests, and the covenants. Most of the people in Western Christianity just have no idea what any of that is or stands for. And I love resurrecting, you know, those teachings that can just give us a beautiful view of our destiny as humanity. So. That's wonderful. I I have a group of friends who are uh, really into understanding the same things that you talked about. And in the festival of the tents, they, uh, their whole family, they go outside during that time and stay in a tent. And uh, it's fun to know them and see, you know, what they're doing and to catch a little part of that. I'm so glad that you haven't had negative feedback from that. I'm I'm so happy for you. (laughs) I think it was just that in the early days after you know, coming out with the book, which I believe was in either 2010, I forget when the original one was, but I just got into the right places on Facebook. Somehow I got into some circles of meeting other like-hearted folks and I just didn't get into, you know, the places where people were knocking down the message or anything. And I, I think I've only ever really had one prominent Christian person, like try to deconstruct my book in a bad, you know, a negative light. And otherwise it's just, it seems like it's just been seeds that have been protected. So. That's wonderful. Wow. Well, tell us, uh, Julie, right now you've been on assignment in a Native American reservation in New Mexico, working as a nurse there, a travel nurse. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would, and especially about how, again, your understanding of God's unconditional love and grace has affected your relationships with with your patients there, with other staff members, with the people that you're involved with there. Well, you know, I grew up near two Native American reservations, the Shoshone and the Arapaho in Wyoming. And over time, especially through this process, I came to have a deep love for the Native American peoples and just a deep compassion for 
all of their struggles. And as a nurse, you know, I wanted to try getting into a little bit of traveling and I decided to try as my first opportunity, the Native American people. And what a delight it was that I don't even know, you know, obviously just I asked God for direction on where should I go first? And interestingly, I just got this email in my inbox one day out of nowhere from a travel recruiter saying, hey, we have opportunities on the Zuni Indian Reservation. And, you know, I love how these things just drop in front of you. And so I applied and got a job and it's been so wonderful. The Zuni people are so warm and welcoming and delightful. And they're so artistic. They're just a very beautiful tribe. I've gotten to learn a little bit about their culture. Unfortunately, you know, we're in the middle of some pretty severe lockdowns there. And it's I've felt pretty isolated to the people in the community are pretty afraid of hanging out on the weekends or whatever. But let me just also add here that over time, I feel like the thing that has changed in me. And I do address this in Raising Hell. Like, you know, one of the questions you always have is, well, if hell's not true, then why evangelize, right? (laughs) That's one of the big questions you get. And honestly, I'm a little bit divided on this nowadays because I feel like I do believe that every person is coming into a restorative relationship with God and others. And I don't have to have an agenda with anyone. You know, everyone I meet, of course, if I see an opening, I am going to try to reinforce that God's love is unfailing. And to me, that is the true gospel that heals. You know, if you know that the God who formed you, there's no strings attached truly, and that everyone is invited to the banquet table at any time. It takes off that urgency to to try to have an agenda with people. And it's definitely transformed my nursing practice, not just now, but previously, in that I feel a great ability and spaciousness, I guess, in my relationship with my patients that I can just love every single person where they're at. And I do continue to have this love just pouring out of me. It doesn't matter who I'm taking care of. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit afraid of the psychotic patients, but (laughs) I'm an ER nurse and, you know, we get a lot of strange people, but I just do have a deep love and I can tell that my patients feel that. And obviously I don't really have time to tell them all about the truly good news. And that would seem like it was an agenda, but I do have the time to love them and just make them feel like they are a worthy child of God. And the ones that come in, particularly with the psychological needs, I always assure them of that, you know, I'm, I tell them verbally, Hey, there's nothing that you can do that God will ever give up on you or stop loving you. You are a part of God. And I see a connection with these people, like a light in their eyes. When I assure them of this, that they, you know, maybe it's a spark of hope or something, but so many people have been affected by the hell doctrine that they just don't believe they're worthy of love. And so just to sit with them in the present moment and let them feel that love is transformative. It is. I get Jesus bumps. Uh, I used to call them goosebumps. Jesus bumps, just uh, hearing you uh, talk about that. And, you know, you mentioned when people say, well, why even evangelize? That's a telltale thing to me that people, when somebody says that, they haven't yet been awakened to, <laughs> to what God's love and grace is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're living and, for life. They're not living life now. Right. They're all. It's all focused on one day in a sweet by and by. We'll either go here or there, and so we have the opportunity to tell them, no, it, it's right now. It's right here. <laughs> it's everywhere. 
Julie, you've got a goal in mind. Tell us what your plans are for the future back where you live in Puerto Rico. Okay. So last year, my husband and I, it was actually about a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago, we visited Puerto Rico with the idea of, you know, maybe having a place to winter. And as soon as we visited, we were drawn to look at a place in the mountains, just, you know, it wasn't really on our our list of places to look at. But as soon as we drove up to this property, it's an old coffee farm in the central western mountains of Puerto Rico. We had a vision and we both had the vision that someday this was going to be a healing wellness, spiritual retreat for people. And, you know, all the ideas just flooded in and it was kind of like this place chose us and uh, everything just went so seamlessly to purchase this property. And so we moved there a year ago currently the reason why I'm doing the travel nursing is we're saving up money to try to have some building projects to open a small guest center, you know, slash retreat where people can come for this emotional, physical, spiritual healing. As a nurse, I'm very much invested in the wellness of people. And I I feel like you can't separate out the body from the spirit. Like everything has to be addressed at once holistically to find liberation from fear and healing. And I have spent many years researching holistic therapies and how to integrate the physical and spiritual healing together. And so I'm just excited in the future to have retreats of maybe eight to 10 guests. And I'm also very passionate about making things affordable and accessible. You know, one of the things I notice in our modern day is you try to sign up for some kind of a wellness retreat and it's 4,000 a week. (laughs) And, you know, the the people who need that the most can't afford it. So somehow in, you know, in my radar, I want to always be able to provide for the people who need it the most that can't afford it. And so I'll see how the spirit provides for that. (laughs) Well, uh, God's still in the provision business. He's still our provider. And uh, what, what a great vision. I, I believe he gives us the desires of our heart, which are his desires, which he puts in our heart. And then, of course, uh, when he does that, then he he brings them about. And uh, gosh, I hope one day I can come there. And uh, of course, well, it would be wonderful to do that. You know, I feel like anything that you're given in this lifetime that will benefit all people should be accessible. And I feel like Mother Earth doesn't play favorites with her children. And in order for us to find healing, we have to come back to those things which are not out of reach and which are accessible and affordable. And and I will just say, you know, from the beginning of writing Raising Hell, I had a deep conviction that the message should always be free for everyone. So just for the listeners here, I always offer a free PDF at our website, raisinghellbook.com. And I just feel really strongly about that. So Wonderful. And thank you for doing that. So you have that website. How else can people connect with you? I I know that uh, where you are right now, you don't have reliable internet. Well, where you are right now today, you do, but at the reservation. So how can people connect with you? The best way is probably, well, through the RaisingHellBook.com site, I have a contact form. Also, Facebook, I have a group where people can join for the discussion. It's called Raising Hell Book Group. And then also I have a YouTube channel. I've been slowly trying to produce some small snapshot videos with topics on the topic of hell at youtube.com forward slash raising hell. 
Great. Well, I sure encourage people to uh, to do that. I, I encourage people to buy your book, or if they can't afford it, to get the free PDF. It, it certainly has helped me. It was actually part of my uh, curriculum when I, at the ripe old age of 69, when I uh, went back to school at Global Grace Seminary. It's one of the required readings there, and it was very impactful and helpful to me, and I know it will be to others, too. Oh, well, thank you so much, John. Sure. And thank you so much, Julie, for taking this time on your vacation and your time to get away from work a little bit. Thank you for what you're doing to help the people that you're doing every day. And I am excited, so excited about the vision that God has given you for the retreat center. And I just have a feeling that maybe one day or another, I'll be able to be involved in that in some small way. And I look forward to that. That would be wonderful. Make sure you get in touch about, you know, we're hopeful that even as soon as maybe next year, being able to, you know, offer some small events. So we would love to have you. Thank you. Well, Julie, thanks again for being with us. Tell people one more time your website and Facebook addresses and where they can contact. So the website is RaisingHellBook.com and the Facebook group is called Raising Hell Book Group. And it's easy to find. You can ask to join. It's a private group. So your friends and family won't see how heretical you're being. You can join this for the discussion. And pretty much, you know, any discussion is welcome there as long as it's done with sincerity and courtesy to others. So we try to be open to the process and journey of where everyone's at and knowing that it is a safe universe and it's okay to question and it's okay to be wrong even. So we're all ending up in the loving arms of God. So. <laughs> we are, and that takes all the pressure off, as, as you've said before. So thanks again, Julie. I look forward to doing this another time, and the uh, Lord's blessings with you as you continue to do what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, and thanks, everybody, for being with us again today for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.